Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of unique local celebrations. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is Japanese festivals or Matsuri. And that word Matsuri is kind of interesting because it can translate to festival or celebration, but it also can translate to worship or dedication, which makes sense because. A lot of these matsuri are sponsored by a local shrine or temple, but not always. They could be secular, or they could even be Christian, which is funny because only about 1% of the population of Japan is Christian. Yeah, so let's talk about why we're doing this episode. Why festivals in Japan? Why, does it, why is that important to people? Because matsuri happen all the time, all over the place. It's a big part of Japanese culture. And it's a way for communities to come together and, uh, you know, celebrate their shared heritage. Yeah. You blow off steam, you can party, you can have a good time, eat good food. It's something that uh, you should definitely enjoy if you're in Japan. I'm sure you can find a festival near you. Yeah, they really are just happening all the time. If you Google, like, Japanese festivals at any time of the year, you'll find a huge list of them all over the place for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah, almost every shrine in the country has a festival at some point during the year. And there's a lot of shrines around. Yeah. So these Matsuri are local events. There are no set dates, and they vary from area to area. But a lot of them are also bunched around traditional national holidays. Yeah, and... uh I hear you're going to swing by a Matsuri on your next trip to Japan, Jason. That's the plan. Uh, near my hotel that I'm staying at in Tokyo, there's a Matsuri that I found out about just a few blocks away at this little shrine. There's going to be this huge wall of lit up lanterns at night. It looks pretty cool. I can't wait to see all your pictures and hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, and that was easy to find, right? I swear you were like, oh, I wonder if there's any Matsuri near me. And 30 seconds later, you're like, oh, this one looks cool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I just Googled Matsuri around the dates that I was going to be in Japan. And I found a couple that were, I just got lucky that I was going to be there at the time it was happening. Yeah. Did you say you're going to be able to walk to this one from your hotel? Yeah, just a few blocks away. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that most Matsuri have in common. Right. So let's talk about some of that stuff. Okay. So we talked about Matsuri don't have set dates, but they tend to be common in late summer and early autumn because a lot of them have traditional ties to rice harvesting. Yeah, yeah. Harvest festivals are a big thing all over the country. So that's a common time, but they do happen all throughout the year as well. Yeah. So most Matsuri have a main event that they're kind of structured around. And that main event could be a lot of different things. You could have fireworks, you could have a religious ceremony, a lot of other things that we'll talk about a bit later. But then there's also other types of entertainment to keep people busy the rest of the time when that main event isn't happening, like food, music, games, different types of contests. And in some ways, Matsuri are a chance for people to really let loose and get crazy because we've talked before about how Japanese culture is really structured and you know, you're encouraged to kind of conform with the way everybody else is doing things. So Matsuri is a, a good chance for people to really get wild. There's a lot of drinking that happens in a lot of types of Matsuri. Yeah, pretty common for a drink to be going around. Yep. And yeah, it's just so cool on these Matsuri is that everyone's different. 
So you've got some that are super wild, some that are much more mellow, just all kinds of feels to, to these different festivals. Yeah, totally. So what are some common things we're going to find at almost every Matsuri? Yeah, so some common elements. Like we said, we got food and games, and I got some details about those. Some popular foods that you'll see, little food stalls, are yakisoba, mm-hmm. which is uh, fried noodles, super delicious. Mm, they have, so good. Yeah, there's kind of a Worcestershire-style worst, worst, sauce that's... Uh, <laughs> Paul's laughing at me. <laughs> I've always struggled with that word myself, so yeah. and you I know, feel your pain. Uh, I felt like I was really good at that word. Like I figured out, because I lived in Boston for a while, and you know, I figured out the beginning part of that before Shire that people get confused about pronounced Worcester. Mm. That's a name of name that you see a lot in Boston. So Worcestershire sauce. Okay. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm all nervous on the podcast. I just screwed up. Anyway, cotton candy is common. Ooh, yeah. Candied apples. Mm-hmm. Yakitori, which is uh, chicken skewers. Anything on a stick. Yeah, a lot of types of skewers. Really good. And they're always made over charcoal. It gives them a little extra flavor, you know? Yep. Takoyaki. Octopus balls. Yeah, those are good. And karaage is fried chicken, Japanese fried chicken. They have their own certain style of fried chicken that's very tasty. Of course. Kakigori is popular in the summer. That's uh, shaved ice. They have all sorts of different flavorings for that. Okonomiyaki you might even find. We've talked about that in the food episode. That seems like an interesting one to find at a food stall. Yeah, a little bigger and more difficult to eat than most of that other stuff, I guess. Yeah. So besides food, you also got a bunch of games. And some of these are pretty cool. I mean, you're, you know, in the U.S. you see a lot of carnival games, but uh, Japan has some unique ones. One of them is called Kinkyo Sukui. And what's that? Basically, you're trying to catch goldfish, but you don't have a fishing rod. You don't have a net. You get this little paddle sort of thing. You could kind of call it a net, I guess. It's a little, you know, a little plastic ring with a handle on it. And in the middle of that ring, it's actually a paper net sort of thing. So that's going to fall apart pretty quickly as it gets wet. So you need to scoop up as many fish as you can before it breaks. Yeah, it seems kind of difficult to do. You got you to be quick. Yeah. I've seen videos of people that are just amazing at this. They're just fish, 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 just throwing them in. <laughs> Like 20 of them in a row. Wow. It's crazy. I don't even know how you can sneak up on a fish that easily. You know, they're, they're pretty cautious creatures. Right. Oh, so you get to keep the fish that you catch in this game too. Yeah, you take them home in a little bag full of water. Yep. There's also uh, something called Super Ball Sukui, which is the same kind of game except with Super Balls, like bouncy balls, you know? Okay. You catch those instead of fish. In water? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Not sure if it'd be easier or harder because, I mean, they're going to roll right off your paddle. You know, you just got to kind of flick them out of the water, I think. That sounds fun. That, that's, that's more vegan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another game is called Yo-Yo Tsuri. So this one, you got, you got a pool of water again, and there are these balloon yo-yos, like water balloon yo-yos. You've seen those, right? It's like a little water balloon, and there's just a rubber band kind of thing on the end, and you put it around your finger, and you got like a yo-yo balloon thing, okay, right? Okay, yeah. But you have to catch your balloon before you get to bring it home. 
And the way you do that is they give you a little fishing line with a hook on the end, except the fishing line is paper again. So as that gets wet, it's going to fall apart. So you got to catch your water balloon real fast. So you got to hook that rubber band and pull up your balloon? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Another one I thought was kind of cool is called Senbon Hiki. So there's a bundle of strings, and each string is attached to a certain prize, but like they're all grouped together, so you can't see which string is attached to which prize. You just got to choose a string, pull it, and you get whatever prize it's attached to. Kind of a lottery sort of thing. Okay, that could be fun. Yeah. And then besides those, there are some more familiar games like, you know, shooting a rifle with a little cork bullet at the prize that you want, or there's a ring toss sort of game, except instead of throwing rings over Coke bottles, it's you have to throw the ring over the prize that you want to get, like little figurines or whatever. Okay. The standard carnival games. Yeah. Yeah. And another type of entertainment that we mentioned is people are going to be drinking probably. Oh, yeah. And drinking in public is totally legal in Japan. So these things can be uh, pretty wild. People having a lot of fun. Yeah. There's often even like karaoke contests or sumo matches going on as part of the festival for added entertainment. Mm -hmm. All sorts of fun stuff going on. Yep. Before we get into a lot more details, let's talk some about the history of Matsuri. And this is a little hard because there's so many different types of Matsuri and all of them have a different history, but let's try to talk a bit in general about the history of Matsuri. Some Matsuri even have a specific event that that Matsuri is tied to, like a specific historical event. So those all vary based on each Matsuri, but there are some stuff they have in common. Yeah. And I mean, we were talking about harvest festivals. That stuff could go back thousands of years. Right. I mean, the whole idea of a community getting together and celebrating something, that's a pretty old idea. Yes. Happens all over the world. But a lot of the ones that happen in Japan have roots in Chinese festivals, even though a lot of them are unrecognizable these days because the original ideas mixed with the local customs and all sorts of things could change over the generations. So they could be pretty different from how they started. A lot of festivals are also purely Japanese. Like they've been popping up all over the place throughout their history, you know. But at the beginning, a lot of these Matsuri were not necessarily really festive, big party celebration sort of events. A lot of them started out as religious ceremonies. And, you know, maybe there's some festivities attached to it, but it seems like at the beginning, a lot of them were more aimed at the religious stuff. So people would get together to pray for a good harvest or for fishermen to have a good catch, or for prosperous trade. And some of these could even be like secretive little gatherings of a small group of priests, or, you know, just a few select members of the community, which is uh, not done quite so much these days. More uh, community involved at the larger level these days. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. A lot of Matsuri these days heavily involve like local neighborhood organizations that help organize and put them on with the local shrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned sumo. And remember in the sumo episode that we did, we talked about how early on sumo was like a form of entertainment for the gods. Was yeah. the idea they're, they're entertaining the gods or even sometimes wrestling the gods. So those old sumo tournaments were actually considered matsuri as well. Yeah. So over time, all these different types of matsuri from throughout history became more and more festive. A lot of them lost the connection to the original purpose, and now it's just kind of a big party sort of thing. 
Like That's a cool. Ma- yeah, a Matsuri <laughs> for the sake of just having a Matsuri. Yeah, let's, you let's gotta just party. You just need need some days off sometimes to let loose. Yeah, so these days Matsuri can be very festive and rowdy, but the, some of them can still be pretty solemn and uh, structured and strict. And some of them even have a combination of the two. Maybe a bunch of people are partying, but then there's a little religious ceremony and the priests are very serious about their rituals and stuff, but communities still party. Yeah. So let's talk about the most common type of Matsuri, which is the Shrine Matsuri. Okay. Most of these Shrine Matsuri are held annually to celebrate the shrine's deity or a seasonal or historical event. Some of the festivals are even held over several days, so it's not even necessarily just a one-day thing either. Yeah. You mentioned before the different uh, parts of uh, Matsuri, and the shrine ones fall into that in that they often have the solemn rituals of worship that are usually followed by some sort of joyous celebration later on. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that more people take part in. But preparing for a Matsuri even happens well in advance. Participants uh, usually purify themselves with periods of abstinence, which can vary depending on the festival, but they can go hours or days not eating or not eating certain foods, to make sure that they're pure when the festival starts. Hmm. And that won't be everybody that comes and celebrates, but it'll be like the priests or like the heads of the local organization that are going to be really involved in the, in the putting on the whole Matsuri. Yeah. Like the organizers basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when they start a shrine Matsuri, they're usually going to go to the Kami, the God of the local shrine, and they will offer food as offerings and then they will offer prayers by the priests and individual worshipers will then usually present offerings of branches from a sacred tree and that is all to get the shrine's kami to come out into the mikoshi which is like the portable shrine can you tell us a little more about mikoshi jason yeah In the Temples and Shrines episode we did, we talked a lot about Shinto and how these shrines have an object that is called the Shintai, and that houses the kami. The spirit of the deity of the shrine is enshrined in this object. So the Mikoshi is basically a portable, temporary shrine where they put that Shintai and the kami inside it, and they parade them around. Yeah, and it's the only time of the year that the kami is going to leave the shrine. And it's believed that its presence blesses all the locations along the route that it's carried around town. Yeah, and the mikoshi is uh, a litter. What does that mean? It's on these poles, kind of, and people are carrying the poles on their shoulders. So like, it, this isn't a float, like people are dragging it through the streets or rolling it. People are carrying it. Yes, And it's very lavishly decorated, lots of gold leaf and just really intricate designs and carvings. And they could be super heavy, like up to several tons. Wow. Got to show you respects for the kami. Yeah. And they're actually, Paul, did you see this? There's something called Mikoshi Dako. 
which are these huge calluses that people get on their shoulders or like their necks where they're carrying these things year after year. Oh, wow. They're huge. And I'm sorry, they're kind of gross looking. <laughs> they're like, they're like giant goiters. It's not just, a, you know, some thick skin. It's like this big bulge of extra skin. Wow. I'm surprised that that can build up like only carrying something once a year. I know. I but feel like they should switch sides. <laughs> maybe yeah. do the movie, do the left side next time. Yeah. But these people wear these as badges of honor. Wow. Like they're really yeah. proud to do that and show, like they can show in their daily lives, you know, I'm really involved in carrying the commie around. Yeah. You know? Shows you're like an active member of the community doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It is cool. And kind of funky. It's different. Yeah. Showing their dedication. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Also at some Matsuri, the people that are carrying the Mikoshi will wave it around all oh, over the place. My goodness. Like they're, uh, <laughs> They're giving the, the kami a little roller coaster ride, you know? It's, it's supposed to entertain the kami. That's super thoughtful. Yeah. But hard work. I know, especially, oh, those wow. things are so heavy. It's good yeah. for those guys. Yeah. So a lot of these festivals have decorated floats that they tow through town too. Yeah, those are called dashi or yatai. They can be called different things in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one of the other names, too, is Yama, which means mountain, which makes sense because originally the idea of these floats is that they could serve as Yorishiro, which is the object that uh, can attract the kami. And then once the kami inhabits that, it becomes the Shintai, like that same sacred object we were talking about in the Mikoshi. And this Yama mountain idea also makes sense because it used to be believed that the kami lived in the mountains. Okay. So they would be coming to this, this little mini mountain to hang out in and be paraded around. Yeah. The floats are always beautifully decorated, and they can be shaped like mountains or like shrines, sometimes even like boats, just depending on the festival and the location. Yeah, I mean, they can look at all sorts of different ways depending on what part of the country you're in, what the festival is about. But one major difference between this and the Mikoshi we were talking about is that these floats are going to be pulled instead of being carried on people's shoulders. Yep. And also, you might see musicians and or dancers on these floats playing some drums or dancing around. And you will never see that on a Mikoshi because the Mikoshi is sacred. Remember, it's yeah, the portable shrine. The so there's not going to be a person up there. Yeah, drums and flutes are very common played by people sitting on the float. Yeah. And when we say pulled through town, sometimes it's with oxen, but it's usually people. So yeah. there'll be like two big ropes with like 30 people on each rope pulling this three-story float through town. It's really an amazing sight. Yeah. Yeah. These things can be over 30 feet tall and cost over a million US dollars to make. Yeah, so they're usually donated by a local business. Like each year, a different local business will build one or contribute to the funds of building one. Yeah, and they spend like all year making this thing leading up to the uh, Matsuri. And then it's used for just that year, and then they build a new one for the next year. That's crazy. I mean, considering the amount of time and money they put into them, 
like they're super intricate wood carvings. There are workshops full of people just carving like all year long to make these things. Yeah, we went to a museum about Matsuri floats Mm -hmm. and that was so cool. They had like an old one that was preserved there. It looked so cool and it was so big too. Yeah, yeah. It's really amazing when you get up close and look at all the little details. It's, they're very intricate. Yeah, so if you ever get to see the chance of one of those being pulled through town, you should go check it out because it's going to be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Did you even see that some places they like pull them through town as fast as they possibly can? No. Yeah. (laughs) The speed pull. You got to see it. It's like, I mean, just imagine how big and heavy these things are, but there are tons of people surrounding it and just sprinting with it through the streets. They go so fast. It's crazy. Wow. That's awesome. That'd be, that'd be a sight to see. Yeah. So eventually the procession will make its way back to the shrine it started at. And the offerings will be withdrawn and the kami will be respectfully requested to retire back to its regular spot at the shrine. So obviously more than just the procession, all the other things we talked about, the food, the games, everything else is going on. Yeah, it's just a constant big party. Yeah, some of that stuff probably starts way earlier in the day before the procession actually gets going, but... Yeah. There's more than that going on, but that's often the main event of the Shrine Matsuri. Right. Shrine Matsuri are the most common, but there's a lot of other Matsuri that go around in Japan. I want to talk a little bit about some national Matsuri. You kind of consider them national holidays, but they're celebrated as Matsuri as well. Yeah. And they're going to take slightly different forms in different parts of the country, but they all have kind of a common theme, common reason that this thing is happening, a a main event that's going to be more or less consistent. Yeah. So I guess the first one to talk about would be Shogatsu, which is New Year's. That's a very important one. Yes. It's usually celebrated January 1st to January 3rd, and a lot goes on. But we will get into that more in the whole episode we're going to do about New Year's. Yes. But keep in mind, that's an important festival and holiday. Yep. So one that I think is kind of cool is the next big national festival that happens is Setsubun. Yeah, that's a real fun one. Which is the bean throwing festival. It's usually celebrated on February 3rd or sometimes 4th. Yep. It's supposed to be the day before spring. That's, that's what they're celebrating. It's the day before spring. So that probably has some ancient roots in uh, agriculture. Yeah. So at home, families throw beans, usually soybeans, in a mame-make ceremony to drive away evil spirits that could foul up things later. So one member of the household will put on a demon mask and gets to play the bad guy. Yeah. And everybody throws beans at them and shouts, get out, get out. In Japanese, obviously. And they also welcome luck in. Demon out, luck in. Yeah, so then eventually the demon gets driven away and the door to the house is symbolically slammed shut on the evil spirits. Nice. Yeah, so that seems like, you can have a little fun at home with that one. Yeah, totally. Uh, that mamemaki thing can also happen at shrines or temples. Or people might do it at home and then visit a temple afterwards. 
And also when you, so you throw the beans to drive away the evil spirits, but then I also saw that you're supposed to eat one for each year of your life. And that's supposed to be good luck too. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. I could throw down some soybeans. Yep. Roasted soybeans. <laughs> Sounds tasty. The next one I want to talk about is Hanami, which is the cherry blossom festival. Yeah. The flower viewing dates back to the 8th century, around there, when aristocrats had flower viewing parties at the imperial court. We talked about this a little bit in our gardens episode. Yeah, People we People would go hang out in the gardens and look at the flowers. But these days, everybody gets to participate, not just the rich people. So people get together and set up blankets and chairs and even grills and karaoke machines. Yeah. And just party it up. Yeah, the main event of these festivals is considered the viewing, mm-hmm. the actual sitting there and looking at the cherry blossoms. Yeah. But there's going to be street food, parades, concerts, dancing, singing, all sorts of fun stuff going on. Yeah. And lots and lots of drinking. Definitely. That is a major part of it from what I saw. And the dates vary on this because it's just whenever the blossoms are blooming. Mm-hmm. But for most of Japan, that's in April sometime but it's going to vary each year and with each region as well. So another important one I want to talk about is Obon, and that is August 13th to 16th, and it's a Buddhist observance honoring the spirits of your ancestors. Yeah, it's a three-day festival. This is one of those extended ones, and it can be, there, there are those official dates that Paul mentioned, but they can be held at different times in different parts of Japan but pretty much always around July or August. Everything's open to interpretation, how the locals want to do it. Yeah. So usually a spirit altar is set up in front of a Buddhist altar to welcome the ancestors' souls. They build a welcoming fire on the 13th and a send-off fire for the souls on the 15th and 16th. The fires are intended to be guides for their ancestors' spirits coming in and out of the wherever spirits normally live. Yeah. So this festival isn't just about ancestors in general, like, oh, all those people that came before us. Like each specific family is welcoming back their specific ancestors. Yeah. And even more specifically, like the ones they remember, you know, like grandpa or great grandpa or mom and dad. Yeah. Usually they're going to concentrate on just like a few generations back. Yeah. Families are going to visit those graves, clean them off, mm-hmm. and bring a lantern to call their ancestors back home. And they also hang paper lanterns called chochin to guide the spirits. And the festival itself, there can be dance and music, and it all varies depending on the region. And then at the end, uh, you said they lit a fire? Yeah, they have uh, send-off fires. Yeah, and there's a common ritual where they send these floating lanterns down the river to send off the spirits. That's called Toro Nagashi. Yeah, and that can look really cool when they do that too, seeing a bunch of like floating candles or lanterns on the rivers. Yeah, definitely. Looks really awesome. Yes. So another important one is Omisoka, which is New Year's Eve. And again, we'll talk about this one much more in our New Year's episode. Uh, One of the biggest things on New Year's Eve is the first shrine visit or temple visit of the year. Mm -hmm. So after midnight or at midnight, a lot of people go to uh, shrines or temples. So they'll be very crowded at that point. But it's kind of a fun thing to do with your family or friends to stay up late. Yeah. 
All right. So that's all I got for talking about some of the more interesting national festivals. I got one more. Ooh, what do you got? I thought we were going to talk about Tanabata. Did you think it was not interesting enough? I mean, we were just throwing so many out there. I wasn't sure, but I like Tanabata. Let's talk about it. All right. So Tanabata is around July 7th. It's uh, known as the Star Festival. That's a cool name. It is, and it makes a lot of sense when we talk about what it actually means. This uh, holiday dates back over 2,000 years to an old Chinese folktale about the meetings of Orihime and Hikoboshi, who were lovers. Very sweet. They fell in love and just couldn't spend enough time with each other. And the story is that they can only meet once a year because Orihime's father, the king, because she was, she was a princess, the king was upset that both of these lovers neglected their work after they fell in love. They were just spending all their time together, shirking their duties. So he <laughs> split them up. They only get to meet once a year. And uh, this is a, a celestial constellation sort of uh, holiday because those two characters are represented by the stars Vega and Altair. So on this holiday, people write wishes on pieces of paper called tanzaku and hang them on bamboo to send their, their wishes to the kami. And then at the end of the festival, the bamboo is often sent down a river or burned, kind of like the lanterns for Obon. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned earlier that uh, fireworks could be the main event of a festival. Mm-hmm. And fireworks are super popular in Japan, as they are in a lot of places, because they're so cool. Yep. So at a fireworks festival... Again, you're just going to get all the general food and games and festivities. You'll see people walking around in yukata, enjoying themselves, relaxing. Yukata being the light summer kimonos that people in Japan wear. And uh, some of them are some of these festivals are super popular with like hundreds of thousands of people coming out to watch the fireworks. So you'll see a lot of that as well, and they're definitely worth checking out. And another type of festival that uh, is a little more wild is the Haruka Matsuri. I need to go to one of these. It's also known as the Naked Festival. That's why I need to go to one of these. <laughs> Nothing like being naked in public, right? <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's the meaning of life. So this festival is about luck and happiness. And it's over 500 years old. And it's called the Naked Festival. It's, it's pretty rare that people are actually naked. From what I saw, people don't do that very many places. It, it happens, but yeah, it's generally a loincloth being worn. Yeah, a fundoshi. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really small loincloth. They're, they're mostly naked. You see a lot of booty. Yep. And the whole point of this is that all these naked people gather around, or almost naked people, and there are priests that throw lucky objects out into the crowd. So you just got all these bodies going for those objects as they're... Coming down out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, the most famous of these naked festivals is Saidaiji Eyo Haruka Matsuri. And that is held at Saidaiji Temple in Okayama. And over 9,000 men participate every year in hopes of gaining luck for the entire year. And when does that happen? I forgot. When does that happen? I'll tell you because this is the craziest fact about it. It takes place on the third Saturday in February. Oh, yeah. I did see that most of these either happen in summer, which makes sense, or in winter. February. People run around naked in February. 
You got to earn that luck. These guys have proven how bad. 9,000 guys show up almost naked in February to attend this festival. That's that, dedication. That's cool. I can see why it's a, a famous thing. Yeah. So those are all the major types of festivals. So let's get into a few specific festivals that we thought were particularly entertaining or unique. I got some good ones for you, Paul. You're going to like these. You start with one first. Yeah, we'll trade off. Sounds good. Okay. So I saw one called the Nakizumo Matsuri, the Crying Sumo Festival. <laughs> did, did you see this? Is this the one where they hold babies? Ah, oh, you already heard about this. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, Crying Sumo Festival. You might think it's a sumo wrestler crying or something, but no, it's actually sumo wrestlers hold babies up in the air to try to make them cry. And if they can't get the baby to cry just by holding them up in the air, they might resort to funny faces or masks, or they just, you know, do whatever they can to make these babies cry. And the point, though, is to pray for the baby's health and growth. So I saw that the point of the wrestlers trying to get him to cry is to startle them into crying out a prayer themselves for their own growth. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I heard that historically... It's believed in Japan that baby screams or crying can scare away evil spirits. Oh, cool. So if you want to see that, you want to hear a bunch of crying babies, that one takes place in late April in Asakusa, Tokyo. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Okay, Paul, what do you got for me? So the first one I got is not too wild. I just want to mention the Sapporo Snow Festival because it just looks really cool to me. So it's held every year during one week in February in Sapporo. And it is one of the most popular winter events in Japan. It features hundreds of snow and ice sculptures in three different locations around the city. And they're huge from what I've seen. Yeah, so it just looks really cool. If you're going to be in Japan in winter or if you're into skiing and you happen to be in Sapporo... It'd be really cool to go see all these sculptures, get the food. They still got the food and the games and all the other cool things going on. So I thought that was a really cool one because I like, I like snow art. Yeah, that does sound like a really fun one. And I mean, it's famous all over the country. It's got to be good. Yeah, I think uh, like 2 million people attend every year, which is That's pretty a good, pretty good turnout for a week-long festival. Yeah. So what's your next one? So there's one called Dorome Matsuri. A sake festival. Oh, that, I'm into that. I don't I, even know what that is. I'm into it already. <laughs> I thought you might like that one. So, Paul, you might be interested in participating in the drinking competition, which is the main event. Let's do it. Your job is to down 1.8 liters of sake as fast as you can. Ooh. It's a bit of sake. 1.8 that liters. Your know, sake is usually about as much alcohol to content as wine, give or take. A wine bottle is 750 milliliters usually. Yeah, how much, or is it a how liter much alcohol usually? is in wine? Like 12 to 17%, I believe, usually. Huh. Yeah, a wine bottle is like 750 milliliters. So it's like, two, it's like chugging two wine bottles as fast as you can. A little more than two, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lot of alcohol. Wow. If you're a woman, though, you only have to drink half that. Okay, that makes sense. They should maybe prorate it by body weight. Yeah, that would make more sense. X milliliters per pound or something. (laughs) Oh, but get this. One of the prizes of that competition 
is a tour of other regional drinking festivals. What? <laughs> you get to go drink even more. If you're good enough at drinking, you just keep drinking. Yeah. Japan really is the drinker's paradise, huh? It is. Yeah. Uh, so this festival was originally a fisherman's festival to pray for a good catch, but somehow it evolved into let's let's all drink as much as we can. <laughs> the fishermen like their sake, I guess. <laughs> I guess. If you want to check that one out, it takes place in Konan City in Kochi Prefecture in April. Cool. What else you got for me, Paul? So, sticking with the Hokkaido theme, I've got another one in Hokkaido, which is the Hokkai Heso Matsuri, also known as the Belly Button Festival. And this one, they believe that the center of one's body is the belly button. And because the town of Furano is in the center of Hokkaido, it's been deemed Hokkaido's belly button. <laughs> so in this town, for this festival once a year, dancers paint faces on their chests and stomachs using the belly button as the mouth. And then they proceed to compete through energetic belly dancing. Really? Huh. Yeah, it seems... Like, I saw a couple pictures, like... Their whole chest and stomach is generally covered with a f painting of a face, uh -huh. and they just dance around, gyrating. And so, besides that, they're like dressed norm, or I guess they'd be shirtless, but they still have pants on. Yeah, and they have pants on, and they maybe don't have anything an on their open head or whatever. Coats, maybe a hat. I don't know. Interesting, because I was also going to talk about a belly button festival, but it's a different belly button festival. They've got two belly, at least two apparently belly button festivals in Japan then. The one I was going to talk about takes place in Shibukawa City, which is known as the belly button of the entire country of Japan because <laughs> it's right in the middle of the country. But this one, it sounds like they do the belly button dancing a little bit differently because they paint the faces on their bellies, mm -hmm. but then they have like a giant hat that covers their head and their arms. And then they have... Like from their waist down, it's like a mini kimono with its own little fake arms sticking out to the side. <laughs> That's so I cool. saw pictures of these guys. It's like this little body and then their torso is like the whole big head. Okay. And then they got this giant hat. So they're really weird looking like disproportional little people dancing around. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It was pretty funny. The, the pictures, you got to look those up. So what's the belly button of America? Like Oklahoma City or something? I don't know. I never thought about that. Like, I don't know. Belly buttons must be important in Japan or something. If every city's like, we're the belly button of whatever. It is really interesting. <laughs> you know, all those rural American towns have something that they like try to make themselves famous for. Like, oh, we got the biggest whatever object or yeah. something. You know, I bet there's some town that's like, we're the belly button of America. <laughs> it's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so the next one I've got is Otaue Matsuri in Ehime. Again, we mentioned in this episode and in the sumo episode how sumo began as a fight between the gods. So in this festival, the Rikishi, which is a sumo wrestler, wrestles against a kami or a god or spirit. So it's originally part of a rice planting festival. So you get to go and see this guy wrestling with an invisible opponent. That does so sound like quite a show. He's like tossing it around the ring. He's getting tossed around the ring. 
trying to show that he's fighting desperately against this force <laughs> that you can't see. Needs to be a good actor. And it's supposed to be really entertaining. Even though every year the deity wins with two wins and one loss. Uh, because if the deity wins, it's going to be a good harvest season. <laughs> yeah, you got to let him win. I mean, he's, he's a deity. But you got him once. Hey, even one win against a deity? Yeah. Good job. Yeah. This shows that he's putting a real effort in. Yeah. Nice. That sounds like a fun one. Yeah. So what's your next festival, Jason? You're going to like this. Ooh. This is a good one. What you got? I hope you haven't heard of this one. So this is called Pan to Matsuri, the Mud Spirit Festival. Did you read about this? Yes. Oh, man. This was my next one, oh, but I it's so I thought I was going to cool. surprise you. Okay. Well, Pan to is an evil spirit in Okinawa. And three times a year, this festival happens where people dress up in leaves and mud and masks. They just cover themselves in mud. And they go terrorize the locals and splatter mud on everything and cause a mess. Yeah. But you actually want to be touched by these spirits because getting that mud on you is good luck. The mud is cleansing and washes away evil. Okay. So people will actually hold out their babies to be touched by the mud monster. But the very best part is that there are unsuspecting tourists just walking around. And just, just imagine this. Imagine what this would be like. You're on vacation, walking around in this cool place, you're having a lot of fun, and then some crazy person covered in mud just runs up to you and starts touching you with his mud-covered hands, getting <laughs> mud all over you. Yeah. Hey, at least here in Okinawa, you can just go to the beach and wash off. But if you didn't know what was going on, that would definitely be a shocking moment. <laughs> yeah, so people, there are a lot of tourists that have complained to local officials about this because they, they have no idea what's going on. There's some crazy person that attacked me covered in mud. <laughs> and the local officials are just like, guess you don't know what Pontu is. So if you want to get touched by a mud monster, go to Miyako Island in Okinawa in early October. I've heard that children in the area are told all year, the Ponto will get you. It's like uh, the boogeyman. Yeah, he's the local. He's the local boogeyman, the local monster. Cool. He actually brings you good luck, so that's cool. Yeah, better than our boogeyman. Yeah. So the last one I got is Akutai Matsuri in Ibaraki, and this is a festival where you boo people. You boo people. Yeah. So this is really good stress relief. The spectators boo men dressed in white clothes. The men in white clothes will come up on a stage and people will boo them and hurl insults at them and get rid of all the bottled up resentment they have built inside them from the last year. Nice. And uh, before the official festival starts, they have a contest to see which person can yell an insult in the loudest voice. <laughs> awesome. That'll be a fun contest to participate in. Yeah, it sounds like a really good way of letting loose. Have a couple beers and just go scream insults at a guy that's not going to care at all because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, sounds cathartic. <laughs> What's all I've got for Matsuri? All right, I guess that's the end of the episode. Uh, if you want to find out more fun stuff about Japan, check out our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what's our next episode going to be about? We're going to be talking about Japanese swords. Sweet. Everybody likes Japanese swords. They're just the coolest. They're pretty popular. Yeah. So look forward to that. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.